famous people of the Bible. And, you know, in, in doing a series like this, you sure have a lot to pick from. I mean, I mean, just all kinds of people to choose to study. I mean, thus far we've studied Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Enoch, Esther, Noah. This morning, I want us to spend our time talking about Abraham. Abraham. So you can take your Bibles and turn to the 12th chapter of Genesis. Genesis chapter 12. Abraham is very much a main character throughout the book of Genesis, as well as the entire Bible. His life takes up about 13 chapters in the book of Genesis, and he's mentioned as well some 75 times in the New Testament. He is first known when we meet him as Abram. Uh, We meet him first in Genesis 11 and verse 26, as he's one of the sons of Terah. His wife Sarah, we know her first as Sarai, as we find out in Genesis 11, verse 29. But God had plans to form a covenant with these people that would make Abraham the father of a great nation. And at that point, then, he changes Abraham's name, or Abram's name, to Abraham, and Sarai's name to Sarah, which is how we really know them best. So when you come to Genesis chapter 12, starting in verse 1, We get into the scripture this morning. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. Now, Flip over just a few chapters to Genesis chapter 15. Genesis chapter 15. God's going to make Abraham the father of this great nation. So God tells Abraham, I want you to go outside. It's nighttime. And here's what we read in Genesis 15 verse 5. God tells him, look up at the heavens and count the stars. If indeed you can. Then he said to Abraham, so shall your offspring be. So God is saying to Abraham, you're going to be a father of this great nation. Your descendants will be greater in number than the stars in the sky. And so you're reading this story of Abraham. God is going to build a nation. But immediately, of course, we've got the benefit of 2020 hindsight. Immediately we know there are some problems with this plan that God has come up with, right? There's some issues here because Abraham and Sarah, they certainly don't seem to be the logical choice. For one thing, Abraham came from a family of idol worshipers. That that seems strange that God would call someone out of a family of idol worshipers. I mean, Joshua 24 tells us of Abraham's father, Terah, being an idol worshiper. In fact, Some believe he was even an idol maker. And so this is a family that Abraham was from. It seems like an unusual choice to build this nation upon Abraham and make him the foundation. But even more unlikely is that Abraham and Sarah, they're old. They are elderly. 
and they've never had children before. So do you understand the significance of this? God's plan is to build a nation, but don't miss this. He chooses an elderly, infertile couple to populate the nation. That's who he goes with, right? Can you imagine God calling together his servants, the angels in heaven, and saying, okay, I've got a plan, and I want to build a nation on earth, a nation of people. And so I, I, need, to, I need to choose one couple to be the progenitors of this nation of people. And the angels are there saying, okay, this is good. We're going to build a nation. God needs to find a couple. Okay, Lord, how about this couple over here? This young couple, they play tennis together every other day. They're in good shape. Uh, they, you know, he makes a good living. Uh, they're in great health. You know, how about this couple? And God says, well, what about this couple? The ones using the walkers? Yeah, that couple. I mean, you get the idea that, that this makes no sense at all. God says, let's use them. This elderly, infertile couple. And God says, I'm going to use you to, uh, to, just to accomplish my purposes. I'm going to use you to build this nation. And this is the beginning of what you see over and over in the scriptures. God does it over and over again. He uses the least likely people to accomplish his purpose and to tell his story. And you see it over and over again. I mean, Abraham and Sarah, they were old. Isaac was insecure. Leah was unattractive. Joseph was a slave. Moses stuttered. Gideon was fearful. Samson was proud. Rahab was immoral. David had an affair. Elijah was suicidal. Jeremiah was depressed. Jonah was disobedient. Naomi was a widow. Mary was a poor teenage girl. John the Baptist was eccentric, to say the least. Peter was impulsive. Martha worried a lot. The Samaritan woman had several failed marriages. Thomas had his doubts. Paul was in poor health. Timothy was timid. And I mean, you just, the list goes on and on and on of the people God would use to accomplish his purposes. It's not who you would expect. It's not who we would choose. But yet it's what we see. But the question is why? Why does God use this long list of imperfect misfits to accomplish his purposes? Why would he use an elderly and fertile couple to populate a nation? Because this is what God does. And he does it for his glory. That's the key. It's all about the glory of God. And God chooses the weak. He chooses the least likely. Because then he gets the glory. People realize there's no way that could have happened if God wasn't behind it. And they give him the glory. God's strength has an opportunity to shine through in our weaknesses. And so for everyone who doesn't feel like they're qualified to be a part of God's story and of God's purposes, for everyone that feels like it's too late for me, I'm too old, I've made too many mistakes, I've blown my chances, I don't have the right talents, I don't have the resources, I don't have the gifts, just look at Abraham and Sarah. And you know that God, God uses people like you and like me 
And it may not make the most sense on paper, but it gives God the opportunity to be glorified, which is what it's all about ultimately. It's about the glory of God. So a nation is built by using this elderly, infertile couple. These are the people God uses to build. He uses broken pieces, damaged pieces. And he says, just watch what I can do with this. So you study Abraham and Sarah, you look at them and you think, well, man, that just doesn't make any sense. But is there something about them that would cause God to use them to accomplish his purpose? And here's what we find. It really just comes down to one word. Faith. Faith. Abraham's story is a story of faith. And I think we learn, we learn a lot. Maybe we learn best through stories. So when God wants to teach us about faith, he tells us a story. He shows us what faith is like through the life of Abraham. And so if you look at his story, that's what it is. It's a story of faith in God's promises, faith in God's power. So again, let's look at it together. Genesis chapter 12, God says, here's what I want you to do, Abraham. I want you to take your family. I want you to leave your hometown of Haran, kind of on the border of modern-day Turkey and Syria. And I want you to go to a land that, well, a land that I've not yet designated. And just, just, just get moving. Get going. And you think about what God is asking them to do. This elderly couple. I mean, the older we get, the more set in our ways we get, do we not? Not that I've ever seen that in my life. All right. No, you know what I'm talking about. Change would have been difficult for them at this age. And God is saying, I'm going to move you somewhere. Not going to tell you yet just where. Just, just get going. Just start moving. That would have been difficult for them. God says, I want you to go. And here's what we read, a very simple verse of Abraham's faith. It says in Genesis 12, verse 4, so Abram left. So Abram left. We don't see him asking a lot of questions, no objections. He's an elderly man. He takes his wife and they leave. And they don't know where they're going. But they get up and they go. And in Hebrews 11, that great chapter of faith, the Hebrew writer points to this story of Abraham. And here's what he says in Hebrews 11, verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance... Obeyed. Obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. And I, and I think for us, as we allow God to use us, we need to define faith this way. That faith is obeying God even when you don't know where you're going. Even when you're not sure where he's leading, you still obey. That's what faith is all about. And, and that can be difficult to do. But Abraham, he obeys God. He takes action. The questions aren't all answered. He doesn't know about everything or how everything's going to work out. But he knows what God has asked of him and he obeys God. Does it make complete sense? No, but he obeys. He responds to God's call. He does what God asks him to do. He doesn't put it off. He just makes a decision. 
And he acts on it. So God says, I want you to get up and move. I'm not going to tell you where. And then we keep reading, and God promises Abraham that he's going to use Abraham to be a father of this great nation. And Abraham, again, he could have had all kinds of questions, all kinds of objections. I mean, he's been married to his wife for decades. They didn't have any children. He's an elderly man at this point. But just, again, a very simple verse in Genesis 15, verse 6, it just says, Abraham believed the Lord. Abraham believed the Lord. He just believed God. Circumstances didn't give him a lot of confidence. There was nothing about his situation that would have given him faith, but he believed that God would do what God said he would do. And that's faith. That's faith. Romans chapter 4, Paul says, on down in the chapter ways, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed and so became the father of many nations. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Wow. Didn't make any sense. Against all hope. But Abraham believed that God would do what he promised he would do. And maybe we can just define faith that way. That faith is believing God against all hope. Faith is believing that God will do what he says he will do. So much of life is going to come down to one very simple question. Do I believe God? Not do I believe in God, but do I believe God? How you answer that question has the potential to radically change the direction and the outcome of your life and of your story. Do I really believe God? Maybe you don't get the job that you applied for. Or you don't get into the college that you wanted to get into. Do you believe that God can still work for good in all things? Do I believe that God knows what's best for me? Do I believe that God loves me? Do I really believe God? Or do I believe the world? Or our culture? Or my own intuition? Who do you believe? Do you really believe God? So Abraham just simply believes God, believes him against all hope that he's going to have a son. And look, faith is, not, faith is not believing that God will do what I want him to do. Sometimes we get this confused. We think faith is just believing God's going to do what I want him to do. And if I just believe strongly enough then God's going to do what I want him to do. That's not biblical faith. Biblical faith is believing God will do what he said he would do and that God can do whatever he wants to do. That's, that's faith. And Abraham models that for us. He has faith in God against all hope. And so what happens? Sarah conceives and they have a son. And they name him Little Ha Ha. <laughs> Isaac, which means laughter. So, 
What Abraham, though, is probably best known for comes in Genesis 22 and goes along so well with what Larry spoke about in our communion meditation this morning. In Genesis 22, we read about God calling on Abraham to sacrifice his son, Isaac. The same son God has promised he'll build a nation through. Again, doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. But you just keep reading Genesis 22. Sometime later, God tested Abraham. So we know, with the benefit of hindsight, we know up front, this is a test from God. Abraham doesn't know that. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. This is about a three-day journey. God says, I want you to take Isaac to the region of Moriah, sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I'll tell you about. This just seems so completely contrary to the nature of God. There is not one instance in the Bible of God requiring a human sacrifice. In fact, in the book of Deuteronomy, later on, he forbids that type of practice. So why in the world would God do this and test Abraham this way? But here's what we read of Abraham. Look at this. In verse 3, it just simply says, early the next morning, he heads out. He gets ready and he goes again. You have to love the faith as early the next morning he goes and he begins to obey. And it's a three-day journey. And I can't help but think Abraham's got a lot of questions. God, why, why are you asking me to do this? This is my son. The son that you promised would be a part of building this great nation if I kill him, God. But they finally get to the region of Moriah. Abraham says to his servants who traveled with him, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We'll worship and then we'll come back to you. And you've heard this emphasized before, right? What Abraham says here, he says, we will worship and we will come back to you. Not I will come back. We will come back. Do you hear the faith? He doesn't know how it's going to happen. Hebrews later on tells us in chapter 11, Abraham reasoned to himself that God could bring his son back from the dead. After all, Abraham had a son at 100 years old. If that could happen, then God could bring him back to life again if Abraham kills him. Whatever the case, Abraham says, we will come back. My son and I will come back to you. He knew that God would keep his promise, that God would be faithful. And faith... Maybe we can put it this way. Faith is trusting God even when the story doesn't make sense. It's trusting God. And this is going to be a part you're going to be called on to play quite often. Trusting God even when the story doesn't make sense. And Abraham, he shows us what that looks like. So you keep reading. In verse 6, as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son. The fire and the wood are here, Isaac said. By the way, there's a debate on how old Isaac was. Uh, several believe he was a teenager at least, 15 years old or so. Uh, can a 15-year-old outrun a 100-year-old? Could Isaac have gotten away? Yeah, he could have. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. 
And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Isaac submitted. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your only son. So the angel of the Lord comes to Abraham and says, you haven't withheld even your own son from me. So in verse 13, here it is, the substitution. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of, in place of, as a substitute for his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide, and Isaac is spared. His son Isaac grew up to marry Rebekah. They were married for 20 years before they had their first child. Actually, twins, Jacob and Esau. And God starts to move a little bit more quickly in building this nation because Jacob would have 12 sons that would become the 12 tribes of Israel. But here's what we need to understand. This is a piece of the big picture. A piece that will ultimately lead to Jesus. It leads to Jesus. There's a literary term that is helpful as we study this, and the term is foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. It's where the author gives us a hint of what's going to come later. And that's what we're reading here. It's foreshadowing. Because right here on Mount Moriah, that region is the same region where Jesus would be crucified several hundred years later. In fact, there's a lot of people who believed that in the very place that Abraham was going to offer Isaac, that that is the very place where Jesus was crucified. It's the same region, the same hills, the same mountains. And so here we have a father who has been asked to sacrifice a son. It was just a test. But the day would soon come where in that same area God would sacrifice his son. And it would not be a test, a sacrifice for you and me. And several hundred years after that, here we are right now, today. And God is still using people like you and me to accomplish his purposes. And therein lies the invitation and therein lies the challenge today. Abraham was chosen by God, not because he was qualified, not because he deserved it, but because he had faith. And even Sarah, who laughed when she heard the messenger of the Lord say that she would have a child in her old age, still the book of Hebrews, the 11th chapter, by, says, by faith, Sarah. She too, a woman of faith. And again, not because they were qualified, not because they deserved it, but because they had faith. And so today, God calls us. Not because we're qualified. And certainly not because we deserve it. But I pray it's because of our faith. 
How strong is your faith? Are you willing to follow God even when it doesn't make sense? Are you willing to follow God even when you don't know where you're going? Are you willing to believe that God will do what he says he will do? And today, will you respond to God's call on your life right now? Maybe it's a call to salvation. Maybe you've never yet accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. Never received the remission of your sins that God gives you when you're immersed into Christ. Never having received the gift of His Holy Spirit. Do you have faith in God that God will do that for you? That He'll wipe away every sin you've ever committed? He'll give you a brand new life? He'll do that. But you have to have faith. And you've got to believe in His Son, Christ Jesus. Maybe God's calling you to some area of service within this congregation. Maybe not in this congregation. He could even be calling somebody here to be a missionary, to go to some other place in the world. You say, well, that doesn't make sense. I can't leave home. Do you believe God? He's calling you not because you're qualified, not because you deserve it, but he sees something in you that he can use to accomplish his purpose. How will you respond to God's call today? If there's something that you want to make known publicly in this decision time, you can meet me down front. If there are things that you want to talk about or pray about, you can come to the front and pray. People will gather around you and pray. If you want to meet privately and talk things over, whatever it takes, have faith in God. Let's stand.